What a good day to be together in this place, that God would, would choose us to worship him, that God would listen to us. Our scripture reading today is selections from Jonah, and I'm going I'm to start with the first part, and then you're going to hear more as we go through the sermon. But would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we've come to the end uh, of our series. Uh, on reluctant obedience. And I have to say, as I was preparing for today, uh, I was listening again to some of Jeff's messages through this, uh, this series. It's been four weeks. And I, I have to admit, he's done such a great job of, of filling in this idea about reluctant obedience that I was struggling as I was listening to what he was saying and going, wait a second, he didn't leave me much um, meat on the bone. And so I, I'm, I'm diving deep uh, today to try and figure out some of this stuff. We've talked about Ruth and her I will that was made in the midst of adversity. We've talked about David and his I have, yes, Lord, I have, to the conviction of the Holy Spirit through Nathan. We've talked about Esther and her yes, it's for such a time as this. These moments of obedience of people who have come before the Lord and said, yes, Lord, I will, I will do this, though I'm not sure what this is going to look like on the other side. And today we get the story of Jonah and his, yes, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Jonah is the definition of reluctant obedience. In conversation with, with others, it's more reluctance than obedience. But who is Jonah? Why does he come to this place of hearing the Lord and turning and running away? I want to frame a little bit of that as we step into this this morning. Jonah, a prophet of the Lord. Prophets were known to bring a message from God, right? Not just a, not just a, a word that, you know, hey, this is good news. God loves you. But something specific for a person or people that they may shift, that they may turn, that may, something significant might happen in their world because God wants to do something not only for a people, but for individuals. You can read briefly about Jonah in 2 Kings 14, 23 through 25. He, he prophesied during the reign of a, a really, really horrible king named Jeroboam II. 
God had sent Jonah to the evil king Jeropoma to tell him that God would cause him to be successful. Even in the midst of his sin, God promised to expand Israel's borders. And it happened, just as God promised. This is the only understanding that we have of Jonah before this book. We know that he's prophesying kind of right after Elijah and Elisha, some significant prophets in in the world of Israel. And, And so he's coming into this space doing God's work. He has the responsibility to speak the word of God in a very difficult time to kings and to the people of kings, those who are doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord. It's very much like Nathan's rebuke to David. Remember that moment Nathan steps into David's presence with a rebuke to him right after he's killed someone. So what happened? Why does Jonah turn away from what God wanted him to do? If we only connect the dots between kings and the book of Jonah, we see that Jonah was obedient in kings and conflicted at best completely and horribly disobedient at worst in the book of Jonah. So let's dive right in. Go to Nineveh and preach against it, for its wickedness has come up before me. Jonah's reluctance to go to Nineveh begs the question, what was in Nineveh? Nineveh was the capital city of ancient Assyria. Today, the ancient ruins are located just opposite present city Mosul, Iraq. Nineveh was also famous in the ancient world because it was the center of worship for Ishtar, uh, the fertility goddess. We learn that Nineveh was three days' journey across. Approximately 60 miles wide was this city, about 120,000 people in this city. It is not small. It is significant and has created and inflicted much pain on the Jewish people. Much pain. Slavery. Oppression. Jonah would have known it well. Israel would have known it well. In many respects, I would compare Nineveh to World War II Germany and Jonah to a Jewish rabbi or priest. It is that difficult to hear the words, go and preach against it. Jonah's like, wait a second. These people are wicked. I've got nothing. I want nothing to do with them. Jonah gets up and flees. But here's what surprises me in the text. Jonah flees from the presence of the Lord. Let me read this out of the NASB. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. In the Hebrew, the presence of the Lord is significant here. 
It starts and ends this piece. And, and now we find that it's not necessarily Nineveh that he's running from. He's running from the presence of the Lord. Apparently, he didn't read Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go from your presence? In this moment, Jonah is disobedient and turns from God's word. In this moment, Jonah is disobedient and turns from God's presence. And what ends up happening in this crazy fish story is that Jonah gets found out by the people on the boat to Tarshish. Note that Tarshish is in Spain. And Jonah is on the eastern edge in Joppa. He's going a long way in the other direction, probably about 1,500 miles. When, when Nineveh is about 500 miles through the desert. We don't know how far they got out into the Mediterranean Sea. We don't know how close they were to Tarshish. But far enough that Man, it's a little too far to swim. Jonah gets found out. And in a moment, he says, throw me overboard. Uh, Let me be clear here. When we tell this story to kids, we kind of gloss over this point. Jonah asks the people on the ship to kill him. Jonah is so desperate that he's deciding that he wants to die. He doesn't help bro. He's not apologetic. He just says, I want to die. Jonah is reluctant to the point of despair. Jonah wants nothing to do with what God has for him. And I need to say two things about this. First, in preparing for this message, I've been sitting with it for a while. Luckily, as an associate, I don't have to do it every week, so I've been sitting with this one for a little bit. And a couple weeks ago, um, one of our church partners, the nonprofit that we send our students to, to Houston, people that we've been working with closely, their CEO decided to take his life and the life of his wife and young son. And I got to say, that one has hit me like a ton of bricks. For all the times that I've spent with him preparing and thinking about how to help our kids engage in Houston, how I've, ti- I've spent time with them connecting and praying over what God's going to do, having met his wife and his family that one hurts. Not only me, because I feel even one step removed, but the people that he was with and people he was leading. A 
Attack Poverty has spaces all over Texas and is doing great work, yet in the midst of it, Richard found himself depressed and in despair. Church, if you are experiencing depression or despair, talk to someone. Call the church. We have a counseling center here. Come. We will make it okay for you to be here. We preach that God's mercies are new every morning, but I get it. Sometimes it's really hard to see, and you may need someone to help you see it. Do not allow yourself to sit in that place alone. Second, we live in a time when I've heard this phrase a few too many times. I don't want to believe in a God who would. Dot, dot, dot. There are many dot, dot, dots. I don't want to believe in a God who would have compassion. I don't believe a God who would punish or provide for or create justice or care about or heal or forgive those people. I want to believe in a God who would do that. I would rather renounce my religion, renounce my church, renounce those things so that I didn't have to follow God into that place. I'd rather die than have to have God engage with that person in my life. More on that later. Jonah is thrown overboard. There's a fish. There's vomit. Then we get to chapter three. (laughs) Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A a fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Mm. We have already seen Jonah be disobedient and wrong for it. And now we see in the scripture where Jonah is obedient. Jonah returns to God's presence, to God's word, and does what God asks of him. And what happens? People hear. People listen to God's word. People are in a place to hear what God has for them. And when they hear that, they turn and say, God, what can we do? They not only do that individually, they do that corporately. And there's something really, really important about that. For you see, confession to God 
equals forgiveness. We allow God to, 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 to keep us from, from those sins, the consequences of those sins. We get forgiven, but confession to one another brings wholeness, y'all. And we see Nineveh dive into that and allow themselves to be absolved of what God is going to destroy that city for. But as you may have already guessed, Jonah is reluctant in his obedience. He preaches of the word to this huge city. He tells the truth of God so that the people would hear. He preaches for three days. He preaches God's word without the heart of God. Do you hear that? He preaches God's word without God's heart. And yet still Nineveh repents. Here's a thought. God's truth doesn't require your approval. Jonah did not approve of what God was having him do. He was indifferent to God's presence. That should say doesn't. I'm just catching that up there. Indifferent to God's presence. He was indifferent to God's ways. He preached a word and didn't allow it to penetrate his heart. In many ways, this is a Genesis story. Adam and Eve are hiding from the presence of God. They were disobedient, but they did not let the word of God penetrate their hearts. Sin ruled in that space. Moses strikes the rock and causes pain for his people because he did not believe God and carry God's holiness. God was upset because he didn't represent the Lord in his own heart. So, so Moses smites the rock as opposed to touching it. God says, I'm sorry, I can't let you go on. Look, that's the story for us as well. The people of God who don't allow the truth of God to penetrate our own hearts. We continue to say this in this place, and I believe it because it's really hard for us to do. Love God. Love others. That's no joke. It's not easy. It requires a commitment to the heart of God. God's grace, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's reconciliation of all people. It's hard because sometimes we unconsciously believe that because we've gotten a taste of God, we had an experience with God, that God is with us, that we begin to distort that connection with God into a greed to be God. Remember Adam and Eve. You will be like God. Then we start to say, I know who deserves forgiveness. I know who deserves punishment. I know what scripture says. I know what justice is. I know who God is. Really? You got that all figured out? Wow. The things that we allow ourselves to believe. Here's another thought. There are no undesirable people in the kingdom of God. There are no undesirable people 
in the kingdom of God. In God's universe, there is no God-forsaken place. In God's universe, there is no place that he is not. In God's universe, there is no undesirable people. In God's world, there is no one who is outside the reach of his mercy and grace. Amen? God's grace is greater than Jonah's sin. God's mercy is greater than the Ninevites' wickedness. God's forgiveness is greater than your sin or mine. And God reaches into our hearts just to hold us. Our churches have to stop looking like us. The church needs to resemble Jesus. So Nineveh, Nineveh repents, and God relents, and now we're on to chapter 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by f- fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. You know, as I was sitting preparing and I just thought, you know, Jonah, the story of Jonah hasn't been told better than by those fantastic vegetables. (laughs) And I think this whole thing is summed up in a song. This little chorus that I think needs to be an earworm for you. Would you play that? Jonah was a prophet. Ooh, ooh. But he really never got it. Sad but true. If you've been watching, you can spot it. A-doodle-doo. He did not get the point. That's going to be stuck with you for a while. <laughs> that Jonah was a prophet. And really, you come to the end of Jonah and you realize he didn't get it. How hard is that, right? You're sitting in the midst of, of what's going on. You, you just preached to a whole entire city who turned. 120,000 people in this city turned to the Lord, and you are mad about it? I told you, Jonah in is a place of depression and despair that I just don't know we can access. Jonah is disobedient. In the beginning, and he's wrong about it, and he is obedient, and he's wrong about it. And now he's just angry. We come to the end of Jonah, and we find that he's angry and alone and hurt, and he goes outside the city to sit and sulk, be by himself. He fails both in his obedience and his disobedience. Here's the issue. 
Jonah made God in his image. Jonah made God in, in Jonah's image of God. Jonah chose to believe that his perception of God was who God was. And was mad when God didn't act accordingly. <laughs> he got it. God was compassionate. But he didn't want them, him to be compassionate for those people. God loved extravagantly, but he didn't want those people to have love. God was merciful, but he, he didn't want those people to have mercy. God was abounding in this mercy, but he, Jonah, didn't even want to receive the mercy himself. You know, this is so dangerous because when we make God in our image, when our perception of God, we distort not only who God is, but whom the people of God should be. So dangerous because when I start to look around at other people and I don't see my image of God in them, then I, I miss it. I don't see my distorted image of God. I become judgmental of them. I, become, I distance myself. I get angry about those who actually are image bearers of the one true God. Jonah is so out of touch with who God is that while doing the work of God, he cannot connect with the heart of God. Man, I pray that is not me. I pray that is not us, Lake Avenue Church, that we would continue to seek out the heart and justice of God and that we would value what God values, that we would love the way that God loves, that we would forgive the way that God forgives. So, what about us? God values mercy. How merciful are you? God values grace. How gracious are you in your families, to your coworkers, to those people? God values justice. And I'm going to assume here that God's justice may not look like your justice or my justice. God loves the world to the point of a ridiculous reconciliation that he brought in the death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. Do you love God's people in the world like that? Do we? Remember, confession to God equals forgiveness. God has decided to and made a way to forgive anyone. And anyone in the Hebrew means anyone. Do you forgive like that? Do you connect like that 
with other people? Do you confess with other people like that so that when you confess with other people, it brings wholeness? We have to rely on who God is, not who we think God is. We have to trust in the breadth of God's kingdom, not our own understanding of God's kingdom. Jonah didn't trust and was left angry and alone. Esther trusted in God's gifts in her and went forth. David trusted in God's mercy and fell down and repented. Ruth trusted in God's power and amazing miracles happened around her. What will you do? What will Lake do? Obedience or reluctance? Would you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, you, you're here in this place. God, and I hope in these words that are challenging to my own soul, God, that you are already working in us as a church and us as individuals, God, that we might hear who you are, that we might represent who you are, that we might understand more who you are, so that we might be changed, not so that you might be changed. God, continue to call us to a new obedience, to a new truth, to a new love, to a new forgiveness, to a new grace and mercy, God, that doesn't have anything to do with us and has everything to do with you. Make it happen today in our hearts and minds. For we pray it in Jesus' name.